Dear fathers, we come before you today. I really pray that uh, this message to us, which seems so far away and so alien and so distant from us, will be really real to us because it speaks of our reality and it speaks of our future. And that we can learn lessons for this as we strive to live for you in this world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, now, uh, as I look around uh, the room today, I'm sure uh, many of you uh, have never heard of this uh, singer called Billy Joel. Okay, so I, but then some of the older ones will. Uh, okay, there's this guy called Billy Joel. And uh, I must be getting old then. Uh, but uh, there was this song that he sang, uh, because I listened to his, uh, I just bought his greatest hits collection, right? So, uh, and there's this song that he sings called, Only the Good Die Young. Alright, Only the Good Die Young. So in the song, he basically says, you know, only the good die young, so it's better to be bad. And it's a strange observation because when you look in the world around us, if you look at the newspaper, you watch television, or even reality TV, right, Survivor, it seems as if uh, those who are wicked, who are opportunistic, those who are cunning, they are the ones who get ahead in this world. And just uh, last week, in the newspaper, on an article about China, they were saying that in China today, uh, there's some, uh, some sense of a moral emptiness, a moral uh, vacuum, where people really see that only the bold and the ruthless get ahead. You have to be cunning and conniving to get ahead. So you don't really need to watch reality TV. It is a reality. In the world that we live in, uh, it seems as if the wicked and those who are cunning and opportunistic, they, will, they flourish. Uh, and if there's a related question, right? People say, you know, if there is God, why is there suffering? Then the related question is, if there is God, then why does he allow the wicked to profit and prosper? It seems very unfair that crime pays. Well, today, I think there's a context in which we have to understand the book of Obadiah. Now, Obadiah, uh, today, I've got lots and lots of pictures, okay, and uh, you'll need to do a lot of work yourselves, because I think it's really helpful uh, that we understand the Bible together. I realize uh, during the Bible study that actually uh, we take for granted that we understand the Bible as a whole, and, and it's good to look at different parts of the Bible. Now, if you, if you, if you need your Bible, you don't have one, put it in your hands, because today you'll need a Bible. But if you look at your Bible, let's look at what Obadiah is. It's, it's actually part of this thing called the, the Minor Prophets. Okay, so if you open your Bible to the front of the table of contents, if you look at this thing called the Old Testament, which is uh, before Jesus, the, the last 12 books of the Bible, starting from Malachi, ending with Hosea, they are all called the Minor Prophets. Okay, now, uh, they're called Minor, I suppose, because they're short, they're very brief. And uh, generally, the Minor Prophets was written for uh, the people of Israel and Judah, where God was calling them uh, during 800 to 400 years before the birth of Jesus to repent and come back to Him. Okay, so if you look up here in this map, I've got lots of slides. So try to follow me, right? So this is Judah, this is uh, Israel, okay, uh, gradually got smaller and smaller and all defeated. But uh, the, the Minor Prophets were all these prophets who existed and lived from 800 to 740, uh, 450 BC, who were recorded as a calling to God's people who lived either in Judah or in Israel, the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, to come back to God. Or, as we will see in this book, uh, to Edom and uh, to the, in the book of Jonah, to another place called Nineveh. So here, it seems very unusual because this book of Obadiah uh, doesn't seem to be writing directly to God's people either in Judah or, or Israel. In fact, it is written to a people called Edom. It's the main topic, uh, the main subject of this short minor prophet is the, the country of Edom. Uh, you see here Edom? 
You all can see that, right? The red thing, the red dot. Okay, Edom. And uh, really, it's not really a prophecy at all, isn't it? It's not really a, a warning or call to repentance at all. Because right from the very beginning of the book of Obadiah, it's actually a judgment on Edom. So look at what it says there in chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, this is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from God, from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her in battle. Okay, so basically the next, the next slide. Basically what we see here is God has sent an, an envoy or messenger to all the countries around Edom and said, Let's, let's rise up and go to war against Edom and let us go and destroy Edom and uh, as we read verse 1 the question is why does God want uh, the nations around Edom to destroy her well the rest of the the book of Obadiah is really a a catalogue of sins uh, that Edom has done which caused God to bring judgment on Edom so the first part in verse 2 to 9 tell us that Edom was a very proud nation a very self-sufficient uh, nation. It was very independent. Okay, so look at what it says there from verse 2 to 9. Uh, See, I will make you small among the nations, and you will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cleft of the rocks, and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down? Though you soar like the evil, and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If these came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you! Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will, be, will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, Will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Taman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountain will be cut down in the slaughter. Now, if you look at the verse 2 to 9, uh, it, it shows the national characteristic of Edom. Uh, as uh, my, uh, the principal of my theological college, uh, John Woodhouse, said, you know, each uh, nation has a national characteristic. So what, what's the national characteristic of Singapore? Kiangsuism, right? <coughs> That's what people associate Singapore with, Kiangsuism. So anyway, my theological lecturer, John Woodhouse, he coined a new word, Edomism, or Edomi. And uh, this, what, uh, uh, this is the national characteristic of Edom. They're very proud, very self-sufficient, and they have a very rebellious attitude against God. And that's why when you look at this passage, they had a lot of things to be proud about. First of all, in verse 3 to 4, they, they were very proud because it says that, that they lived in these mountains in the clefts of the rock. Uh, and what happened is, uh, you need to understand a bit of history to understand Obadiah. See, Edom, if you look at this map, uh, I, I, you might not be able to see it because uh, I, I suppose I'm very close to it. But for those of you who have maps at the back of your Bible, you see that Edom is on uh, this uh, ridge of mountains. Uh, if you look at the colouring, I don't know whether you can see the difference in the colour, but here, Edom, where the words Edom are, is actually a big mountain range. So, the, the cities of Edom 
were actually on the mountain top. They were known as mountain people. And in those days, uh, there were no predator drones or fighter planes, right? So, for those of you, for those people who lived out on the mountain top, they usually had a lot of uh, security. They were seen as impregnable because it was very hard to attack people who lived in mountains. And in fact, they were so proud of themselves. The next slide. Okay, uh, next slide. Uh, okay, next one. Right, that they, they saw themselves as uh, living on eagle's nests. Uh, now, obviously, uh, I, I don't think any of us keep eagles or seen eagles in the wild, but apparently eagles, that's how they nest. They, they nest up in the mountains. And uh, that's why uh, predators can't get their eggs. So that was the way that uh, Edom saw itself. You know, we're very impregnable, very invulnerable because we live up here in the mountains. Who is going to bring us down? Uh, that's what they were saying to themselves. But not only that, it says that in verse uh, 5 onwards, that they were very rich, they were very wealthy, they had hidden treasure. They had a hidden treasure. And part of that is, next slide, came because, you see this is Edom here, right? This word Edom. Uh, just to give you a reference, it's Edom, this is Judah. And uh, this is the mountain range that uh, they were, the, it says there, the mountains of Edom. If you can't see it, sorry, it's a bit small, mountains of Edom. But here there's this thing called the King's Highway, or the Transjordan Highway, where people will actually use, uh, use it as a trade route from Africa all the way to Europe and the Middle East. So it was a very profitable trade center. It was like Singapore in a way, you know, like people always going past on the way from, from Africa all the way to Europe and, uh, uh, you know, the Middle East to sell all their produce. So they were very rich. But not only that, in verse 7, verse 8 and verse 9, they had many allies and they, were, they thought themselves as very wise and had a big, strong army. So they were filled with this great sense of confidence and security. You know, after all, if you're smart, if you're rich, if you're impregnable, uh, you, you know, you have many allies, you think that you don't really need anybody and they, they didn't think that they needed God. They had a very uh, superior attitude to God. They, they took very lightly the things of God and they trusted in the things of this world a lot. And it wasn't just a national characteristic which came about later in their life, but right from the very beginning of the foundation of this country, Edom, uh, they had this characteristic of valuing uh, the earthly things more than the things of God. So, uh, the next slide. Okay, next slide. Okay, so, uh, the, the birth of this country of Edom, right, the forefather or the founding father of this country of Edom was this place, was this person, sorry, called Esau. Okay, uh, Esau is here. Uh, Esau. Esau, right, he was also called Edom, which means red, uh, because of this red stew that he ate. So let me read you this story. The boys grew up, uh, there was Jacob and there was Esau. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac was the father, right? Had a, had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, uh, Esau came in from the open country, famished. You know, he'd been out there hunting. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that is why he's also called Edom. Red, right? Uh, Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. 
Now, uh, this birthright uh, that uh, Esau despised and, and sold on oath uh, was like an inheritance. Okay, the birthright is like an inheritance of the firstborn. And that the birthright that Esau gave up was not his father's HDB flat, and neither was it his bank account, but actually it was much, much more valuable than that. It was actually the blessings of God. Right? Because God had blessed Abraham, who in turn passed the blessing to Isaac, who in turn was supposed to pass it to Esau. Okay, next slide. Okay, so this is a family tree. Right? So Isaac was the father, and he should have passed the birthright of God's blessing to Esau, but he gave it to Jacob instead. And part of it was because Esau despised his birthright. He didn't value it, and he gave it away. So, um, and it wasn't just for uh, white truffle soup or caviar soup, right? It was just a choke, right? It was just bean, red bean soup. So you can sort of see from uh, Esau's attitude, from Edom's attitude, that they didn't really value uh, God's things. They didn't really value the things of God, but they really valued the things of this world. But that wasn't uh, the worst part of Edom's behavior, because look at what happens in verse 10 to verse 14. He goes on to say, Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, uh, and while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of destruction nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor cut down, sorry, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Now, basically, uh, uh, Esau and Jacob were brothers, right? But over time, they became two separate countries. So, uh, Esau became Edom, and Jacob uh, became, uh, I mean, recognized as Judah. See, the, the, the son of Jacob was Judah. So, next slide. Right, so, here, Edom, uh, Esau beca- became Edom, and then, uh, next slide. And the, the, basically, what's happening here in uh, verse 10 onwards is, it speaks of a specific time in history. Because Judah was here, and the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Okay? So, these people called the Babylonians, uh, they came and they conquered this whole region, this whole purple region. And they came and they conquered Jerusalem, and they took, you see the, the, red, the red arrow? They took uh, away the people of Jerusalem, the population of Jerusalem, and brought them all the way to Babylon. And this happened in 586 BC. Okay? Now, uh, during this time, uh, what, what did Edom do? Well, according to this passage, Edom did two things, two very bad things. Uh, one of them uh, is called... Uh, okay, I'll, I'll teach you a new word, right? See, you come to, come to church, you, you learn a lot of new things. Okay, I'll teach you a German word. Even watch him. It's called Schadenfreude. Okay, I, I don't know whether you've heard of it. Maybe only the lawyers have heard of it. Okay, Schadenfreude. They committed Schadenfreude and violence. Now, Schadenfreude is, is this. Okay, next slide. Okay, Shaden, this is Shaden Freud. Okay, you can actually learn things watching The Simpsons, because I actually learned Shaden Freud from The Simpsons. Okay. 
Now, Schadenfreude basically is, is, is having a laugh at other people's pain. Okay, that, that, that's, what, that's what you can find. This, that's what I've got on the internet. Right? It's laughing or gloating or getting enjoyment from the suffering of other people. And that's exactly what happened here because Edom, uh, they gloated, they laughed, they stood aloof uh, when their brother, uh, you know, Judah, was destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. Next slide. All right, so that's what I keep saying. It says, you know, they stood aloof, they looked down, they rejoiced and they boasted uh, when, uh, you know, Judah uh, fell. Now, they were really, really happy uh, and it made that day that Judah was conquered and defeated. They were popping the champagne. But that wasn't just the worst part, right? Because, next slide. It said that the worst part was that they also did violence against uh, their brother, Judah, during this time. So, it said that they, they marched through the gates. They marched through the gates of Jerusalem. Right? And uh, you can imagine them as a tourist. Okay? Imagine all this pillaging and destruction happening and the Edomites are going there with their iPhones taking photographs. But it wasn't bad, that wasn't bad enough, but it gets worse, isn't it? Because they seized their wealth in verse 13b. They looted and stole. So you imagine those pictures in the newspaper in London when they had the rioting, where people were just breaking into shops and taking DVD players and LCD TVs. Well, that was what they were doing then, uh, in this period, you know. 2,800 years ago, uh, where uh, these Edomites, uh, while the Israelites were being surrounded and taken to Babylon, they were going to people's houses and taking away their bowls, their cups, their wines, their food, uh, their money, and taking it back to Edom. But it wasn't uh, the last word, isn't it? Because it actually even gets worse, because in the last verse, it says that not only did they do that, they went and killed the survivors. And those survivors, which they found hiding somewhere, they would drag them out and give them over to the Babylonians to be killed or to be taken to Babylon. So I remember uh, my my brother-in-law, he really likes to watch nature movies. Uh, Not nature movies, they're not nature documentaries. And, uh, you know, Discovery Channel and everything. And you always see those pictures of those lions hunting zebra and gazelle. And then you always see them and the lions would, you know, eat and uh, catch one. But after a while, they're really full and they walk away and go to sleep. And then who comes next? The hyenas and the jackals. Because the hyenas and the jackals, they're not strong enough to, to, to catch the zebras and the, the gazelles by themselves. But they always eat uh, on the victims because they're then too weak to protect themselves. Well, there's a picture of Edom, isn't it, at this point? Because God had brought judgment on Israel by sending the Babylonians there and taking them away. But Edom had taken advantage by gloating and laughing, by stealing and looting, and by murdering and handing the survivors over to the Babylonians. But what makes this worse is this phrase, brother. Right? In verse 10 and verse 12, this phrase keeps being repeated, brother, your brother. Because really, Edom should have, shouldn't have treated uh, Judah this way because they were brothers. But all through the history of uh, Jacob, and Esau, the two brothers, uh, they were consistently always fighting one another. And Esau was always trying to frustrate uh, Judah and Jacob. So Numbers chapter 20, uh, which is up here, 
Uh, next slide. Next slide. Uh, okay, next one. Right, so they were always trying to frustrate each other, okay, Judah and Edom. They were always fighting one another, but it started even before they were nations. It started already when they were, when they were children, and it went on in their history. Okay, next slide. Okay, so it's a bit small, this one. But again, you notice here, uh, this is uh, taken from Numbers chapter 20. And in this account, uh, Israel has been walking in the desert for 40 years, and finally, finally, God has brought Israel uh, to the promised land. And as they are walking to the promised land, they have to go through the country of Edom, the brother country again. So Moses sent messages to Kadesh, to the king of Edom, saying, this is what your, notice the word there, your brother, your brother, Israel says. Uh, you know all about the hardships that have come upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now we are in Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway. Remember I said the king's highway was this highway which was used for people trading between uh, Africa and the Middle East and Europe. We will travel along the king's highway. We will not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, You may not pass through. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelites replied, We will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again they answered, You may not pass through. Then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful enemy. Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. Now, now again, next slide, there's a map. Now, okay, here I see, uh, they are in Kadesh. Uh, it says that in the passage, verse 16, right? They are in Kadesh. And they need to go to the promised land, but they want to go through this way. Okay, they want to go through this way. But the problem is, Edom refuses them passage. Uh, they, they, they will not allow them to go through this way. Uh, they bring a large army out and they block Israel. So Israel has forced to go one big round to go to the promised land. So, right from the very beginning, it's not just this is not a once-off thing. Edom has always been self-sufficient, has been a rival to God's people. And finally, finally, once and for all, they have managed to laugh and sit on uh, Jerusalem, the mountains of, of Jerusalem, and say, okay, finally we don't have to worry about our brother Jacob anymore. You know, Judah is gone for good. And that's why God says that's a really great sin. Uh, because Edom has been really wicked. It's been proud and self-sufficient, but it has been violent against his brother. And moreover, this brother is God's people. So God says that he's going to destroy Edom. Uh, he says that, look, you know, he gives this uh, picture of how, you know, when thieves come, they will leave something behind, you know. They go, let's say a thief comes to your house, they may take your DVD player or your LCD player or, you know, your iPad, but they always leave something behind, like, pen and paper, right? No one takes that anymore. But then God says, look, when the day of my judgment comes, there will be nothing left in your, in, you know, everything will be gone, there will be no wealth, 
No wise men, no army, no population. That, that is the prophecy of God through Obadiah. Now, you're sort of asking yourself, right? Why do you need to know all these things? Uh, no wonder Obadiah is a minor prophet because he's boring, right? And it seems so far away. And it just seems like ancient history. Maybe I should have stayed in bed this morning, right? But actually, when you look at Obadiah, it's very, very important for us and we need to study it because it doesn't just look to ancient history. It looks forward to the future. And not just the future of Eden, but the future for us. See, if you look at the next slide, Okay, so uh, for those of you who have done the Bible study, you see that Obadiah was written about here, just uh, at the beginning of the exile. But then by around uh, 5 BC here uh, in Jesus' time, Edom was completely destroyed. Uh, the prophecies that God had foretold through Obadiah about Edom had been fulfilled. And, and today, uh, there is no such thing as a country called Edom. There are no Edomites. There are no fortress cities of Edom. There are no armies of Edom. They're all gone. In fact, uh, the only uh, thing that's left of Edom now today is a, is a very famous uh, tourist attraction called Petra. Alright, so next slide. Uh, so here it is. Petra is here. If you can see a little place right on the mountains. Okay? And this is Petra today. Okay, uh, 2011. Next slide. Okay, it's, a, it's this fort, you know, the city which is carved into the rock in the mountains. Maybe one day you'll get to see it. Okay, next slide. Okay, again, okay, again uh, this is a city carved into the rock face in the mountains. But let me read to you what it says in the tourist brochure about Petra. Uh, Once a mighty fortress situated on a major trade route between North Africa and Europe. Now all that is left is a bunch of empty stones, a wasteland of thorns and thistles, crawling with snakes, lizards and owls by night, while birds of prey can be seen circling in the, in the skies overhead by day. And basically the only people that populate Petra today are tourists. Okay? Now, that's very important for us because God actually gave a prophecy and the prophecy came true. He said that Edom will be completely destroyed for its sin and its wickedness and its pride and its self-sufficiency. But the, the book of Obadiah just doesn't have one prophecy, but it has two prophecies. Because, in verses 15 and 18, it says that Edom is just an example or a foreshadowing of a greater day of judgment. Look at what it says there in verse 15. Let me blow my Okay, verse 15. It says that the day of the Lord is near, <coughs> not for Edom, but what does it say there? For all nations, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head, your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually, and they will drink and drink, and be as if they have never been. Now, what exactly uh, did Edom do? Uh, well, it said that Edom was drinking on the holy hill. They had a cup of celebration on the holy hill. They were popping the champagne and having champagne while the inhabitants of Jerusalem were being led away to slavery. Right? They were celebrating the, the, uh, an enjoyment uh, for the destruction of God's people. But then God made Edom drink 
the cup of his wrath and his anger. See, there's a play on there's a play on the idea of cup, right? So I've got a cup here. So God says, you know, you drink the cup of celebration, then God will give you this cup, and you drink the cup of His judgment. And the idea of cup of God's wrath and judgment is very strong in the Bible. So Jeremiah chapter twenty-five, which is up here, right? Next slide. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 25. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So what he's saying here is Edom is like a little picture of God's judgment. If you drink the cup celebrating your independence and the downfall of God, God's plans and purposes in His people, God will make you drink the cup of His wrath. And I think that's a really important warning for us because if God can keep His word and bring judgment on Edom, then God will definitely keep His word when He judges all nations. And I think it's a great warning for us. Uh, Are we self-sufficient and independent like Edom? Do we have the spirit of Edomy in us? The spirit of Edomism? Where we take very lightly the things of God where we uh, don't take things very seriously when it comes to God, where we, we may be like Esau, willing to, to sell off the blessings of God for a bowl of lentil soup. Uh, some speakers give a really good illustration. It says, you know, God and wickedness is like paper and fire. What happens when you put paper and fire together? The paper is always consumed. And he said, that's the way that God always works. And Edom is just an example and a warning for us. If we are wicked, if there are wicked people in this world, if they are against the purposes of God, God will be like fire and destroy them. See, God cannot be mocked, right? Notice what it says there. It says there, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head. See, the problem is that we always think that uh, we can hide things from God. uh, That somehow God cannot see But God will not be mocked. God knows what you're doing. If you laugh at God, and you laugh at God's purposes, you laugh at God's goodness, and you laugh at the good things of God, and laugh at God's people, then God will bring those deeds upon you. Uh, See, God is not like a tolerant neighbor. You know, the tolerant neighbor, sort of of like, you know, you can do bad things to your neighbor, and your neighbor will sort of just tolerate it. My my sister was telling me the story of a good friend of hers, they just bought a house and the neighbor keeps throwing garbage onto uh, their side. And, and because they are very rowdy, uh, my sister's friend just sort of uh, accepts it, you know, because my, my sister's friend is just a very small Chinese girl. Right? But, but see, God is not like that, see? God is not going to be tolerate uh, people mocking and laughing and having uh, that word, uh, Schadenfreude, uh, laughing at his people in glee. But he will judge them. In uh, 2 Peter chapter uh, 3, I, I really like this um, passage because I think it speaks back and looks back over Dyer. So 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to, the, to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. Okay, so I think this holy prophets here uh, refers back to um, holy prophets here. 
I think the holy prophets there refers back to people like Obadiah. And what did Obadiah say? Right? So think of Obadiah when you read 2 Peter 3, right? I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through, our apostles, uh, the, through uh, your apostles. First of all, you must understand the last day scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as if it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, God, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. See, that's, that's the message of Obadiah. That when uh, the Israelites, when they read the book of Obadiah, where were they? They were sitting by the rivers of Babylon. Uh, they had nothing left. Edom was sitting on the holy hill drinking champagne. But God's promise was He would judge them. Right? He would judge them. The Edomites were thinking, well, you know, good riddance, right? we'll never see them again. Uh, but God says, look, we will, I will bring judgment upon you because of your wickedness. Uh, God is not slow in keeping His promises, but He keeps an account and He will be uh, bringing a day of judgment on all those who are like Edom, who have the spirit of Edomite. But not only is there a, a prophecy of judgment to come, but in verse 17 to 18, there's a, pro- there's a judgment of, sorry, there's a prophecy of salvation and deliverance. In verse 17, But on Mount Zion will be deliverance, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. And the house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau will be a stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. They will have, there will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. Now again, uh, we need to understand a bit of the geography, right? Because it says, the house of Joseph and the house of Jacob. Why doesn't he just say Israel or Judah? Why does he keep talking you know, in such strange language? Okay, next slide. Now, the, the, the house of Jacob generally refers to Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Uh, the house of Joseph generally refers to Ephraim, which is the northern kingdom. Now again, you probably forget this five minutes after you walk out here, but hopefully some of you will retain it one day. Right? Okay, next slide. You see? So here Judah was the, was the biggest tribe in the southern kingdom. So that's why he is the house of Jacob. Ephraim is the biggest tribe in the northern kingdom. So therefore he represents the house of Joseph. So when uh, Obadiah talks about the house of Jacob and the house of Joseph, he's saying the whole of God's kingdom will, will inherit the land. And again, the context is so important because at this point, when this prophecy is made, remember, Israel has nothing. God's people has no land, nothing, zero. Smaller than a shoebox flat. That's, they got, not even have a shoebox flat in Israel. They have nothing at all. But God promises that they will have four points of the compass, right? So, all those uh, references from verse 19 to 21, you know, they will have here, they will have here, they will have up there. They will go even beyond what they presently have. So, what he's really saying is, uh, it's not as if Obadiah is prone to exaggeration, right? You know, he's sort of a, you know, a salesman or something. No. He's saying that 
he's looking forward to a far, far bigger picture that when the day of the Lord comes, all the promises of God will be fulfilled, greater than what they even have today. Because uh, in Jesus' time, uh, Israel was a very small place and the temple was an embarrassment. Even today, if you go to Israel, it's a very small place and the temple is like split in half. But what is this looking forward to? It's not 537 BCE or you know, Jesus' time or even today, but it's looking to the future, the day of the Lord. Because when the day of the Lord comes, judgment will come upon all those who are proud, who rebel against God, who rejoice when God's plans are frustrated or God's people are defeated. But for those who hold on to the promises of God, God promises that they will receive all the blessings uh, of His people. Now, I'm just going to show you quickly uh, three uh, slides from the New Testament which speak of this uh, day of the Lord at Mount Zion, right? So we already read a bit of 2 Peter 3. But it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, new earth, the home of righteousness. Okay, next slide. Okay, we study this in Revelation, right? Says, and then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Okay, you remember Obadiah? Talks about Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And then I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing water and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like the harpist, that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, but for they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Again, in Hebrews chapter 12, same idea, right? But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So you notice here all the pictures in Obadiah are all captured and taken up in the New Testament, where there is a day of the Lord, where there is a heavenly Mount Zion. And what is each group of people to do? They have to do exactly what Obadiah said as well, to keep holding on to the promises of God. But in the New Testament, we keep holding on as well to the blood of Jesus, right? to the Lamb. They keep following the Lamb wherever He goes. So, as we read Obadiah and probably never come back to him for the rest of our church life, right? the, the message is very clear. God has kept 
his word once. He's destroyed Edom. And he will keep his word again. He will bring about the day of the Lord and bring about a heavenly Mount Zion for everyone. So it doesn't matter if uh, wickedness and evil seem to succeed in this world. Uh, it doesn't matter if uh, you know, people mock you as a Christian and they seem to be rewarded for it. Because God will not be mocked. And God will remember. If people drink the cup of celebration against God and His plans and His people, then God will make them drink the cup of His wrath. Um, someone gave an illustration once. I'm not sure whether I used it before. But he said being a Christian is very discouraging, right? He says it, 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 being a Christian is like playing a soccer game. You, you know, you're sort of playing and then you look at the, your, your side of the field and you look at your opposition. It's like, you know, your opposition outnumber you greatly. And then, as you're sort of playing, you realize a lot of people in your own team seem to go to the other side as well. Right? And uh, it's very discouraging. And you look around the world, and I know some people say that, you know, when they read the newspaper, it makes them very sad, because it seems as if, um, in so many places, and in, in so many instances, people who are wicked and evil succeed, but those who do good suffer, and God's church seems to be oppressed and is not especially popular in this world. And the temptation for us would be to say, you know, if God is there, why does He allow wicked uh, to, to succeed and to profit and to prosper? And why does He allow Christians uh, to suffer in this way? But as we look at Obadiah, uh, God has a plan and He will bring that plan to fruition. Uh, there is a day of the Lord where all those who stand against God and His purposes will be judged. And all those who hold on to Jesus, uh, hold on to the Lamb, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, they will be in that heavenly uh, Jerusalem, that heavenly Mount uh, Zion. And uh, my encouragement to you is to keep holding on to the promises of God and not be discouraged for the things that you see in the world around you or the things that people say to you or your workplaces at your schools, at your dining table, because God's promises are stronger uh, than all the things that happen to us in this world, and they are faithful. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. <coughs> Dear loving Heavenly Fathers, we come before you today. Help us to understand uh, your promises through Obadiah all the more strongly. Help us to see that uh, Edom was such a confident prosperous place that uh, they seem to hold all the cards that uh, Israel was defeated enslaved and taken hundreds of miles away to Babylon but yet God could promise the destruction for the wickedness of Edom for failing to help their brother Jacob for failing to um, to comfort and encourage him but rather to to gloat over his destruction and also to, to do violence against him. Dear Father, help us to learn the lesson that your word will always be trustworthy. Your word is always reliable. That you brought the destruction of Edom about. And today as we live in 2011, we can look back and see that there is nothing left of Edom, just as you promised. And so we can trust that when you say that there is the day of the Lord coming for all nations, the day of the Lord coming for all those who are independent and proud and wicked 
and gloat and glory over you and your purposes, that you will bring judgment upon them. Help us to see that we do not need to worry when we look at this world because judgment is coming. And help us all the more to hold on to Jesus and the promises of God and to um, really trust upon you so that we may see the heavenly Mount Zion. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.